If you would, please open your Bibles with me to Exodus chapter 17. If you're using one of the black Bibles from the chair in front of you, you'll find tonight's passage on page 59. Whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope. So may your eyes be blessed by seeing and your ears be blessed by hearing. Listen now to the words of God spoken aloud from Exodus 17. All the congregation of the people of Israel moved on from the wilderness of sin by stages according to the commandment of the Lord, encamped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore the people quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. And Moses said to them, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? The people thirsted there for water, and the people grumbled against Moses and said, Why did you bring us up out of Egypt? To kill us? And our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried to the Lord, What shall I do with this people? They are almost ready to stone me. The Lord said to Moses, Pass on before the people, taking with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile, and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb, and you shall strike the rock. And water shall come out of it, and the people will drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. And he called the name of the place Massah, which means testing, and Meribah, which means quarreling, because of the quarreling of the people of Israel, and because they tested the Lord by saying, Is the Lord among us or not? Then Amalek came and fought with Israel at Rephidim, So Moses said to Joshua, Choose for us men and go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I shall stand at the top of the hill with a staff of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses told him and fought with Amalek while Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. Whenever Moses held up his hand, Israel prevailed. And whenever he lowered his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands grew weary, so they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it, while Aaron and Hur held up his hands, one on one side and the other on the other side. So his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. And Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the sword. Then the Lord said to Moses, Write this as a memorial in a book and recite it in the ears of Joshua, that I will utterly blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. And Moses built an altar and called the name of it Yahweh the Lord is my banner, saying, A hand upon the throne of the Lord. The Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. Pray with me. You, Lord, have redeemed your servant Jacob. We thank you for Christ who has grafted us in as true Jews. 
We thank you for redeeming us and making us part of your son's inheritance. Your word says in Romans 15.4 that you have given us Exodus 17 for our instruction, for the endurance of our faith, that the discouragements that dishearten us would be sweetened, and that we might be filled with a rich and satisfying hope in Jesus. For the sake of your name, we trust you to accomplish that in us. God, we come to you hungry. Please teach us and feed us Christ. Please encourage us and help our faith endure. Let us be a people filled with hope in our brother and King Jesus. We ask as your people that you would hear us because of Christ. God, help me. Amen. So in the first chapters of the book of Exodus... God used Moses and Aaron to work miraculous signs in Egypt to set his people free. And they were. In chapter 14, God drew apart the waters of the Red Sea so his people could walk across on dry ground. Then he closed the waters back over the host of Pharaoh so that not one of them remained. In chapter 15, we heard the triumphant song of Moses and saw the Lord make the bitter water sweet for his thirsty people. And then last week, in chapter 16, we heard how God gave his people manna from heaven and quail to eat with extra provision for the Sabbath. And tonight, in Exodus 17, we see God once again remember his covenant promise to Abraham as he pours out his kindness on his grumbling people. That I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that God did not just act for them. In Exodus 17, God didn't just save Israel for Israel's sake. God saved Israel three and a half thousand years ago so that Christ might be magnified in your heart and minds right now. God saved Israel in Exodus 17 looking forward to this preaching. With the mind that your faith might be birthed for the first time. Or so that your faith might be preserved and kept by the power of God in this preaching. Most fundamentally, my sermon tonight has one point And that is that God delivers his people to show us Christ. That God delivers his people to show us Christ. As you heard when I read the text out loud, chapter 17 has two different sections, but they tell the same story. Is that Yahweh the Lord works out the salvation of his beloved people for two reasons. One, to show that he is the faithful God who keeps his covenant promises. And two, because he wants to show you Christ. The New Testament sees the Exodus story as a foreshadowing of the ministry and death of Jesus. With that in mind, let's 
Let's go to the text. Starting in verse 1. All the congregation of the people of Israel moved on from the wilderness of sin by stages. According to the commandment of the Lord, encamped at Rephidim. When it says that they moved on by stages, it means that it wasn't direct. Numbers 33 records their travels in details. Verse 1 begins, These are the stages of the people of Israel when they went out of the land of Egypt by their companies under the leadership of Moses and Aaron. Moses wrote down their starting places stage by stage by command of the Lord, and these are their stages according to their starting places. Then jumping to Numbers 33, verse 9, it says, And they set out from Mara and came to Elam. And at Elam there were 12 springs of water and 70 palm trees, and they camped there. This was Exodus 15, where the bitter water was made sweet. And they set out from Elam and camped at the Red Sea. And they set out from the Red Sea and camped in the wilderness of Sin. This was last week's chapter 16, with the manna that God provided day by day. And they set out from the wilderness of Sin and camped at Dafka. And they set out from Dafka and camped at Alush. And they set out from Alush and camped at Rephidim, where there was no water for the people to drink. So from the wilderness of Sin to the camp at Rephidim, they made multiple stops along the way. And Exodus says, all according to the commandment of the Lord. After God provides manna for Israel in the wilderness of sin, they walk in the path of obedience for a time. Until they camped at Rephidim where there was no water for the people to drink. You might have heard it said that God will never close a door without opening another. But I tell you that God might shut all the doors and have the burning building come down around your head so that you might utterly despair of your own strength. God may lead you through moderate passages between your trials, but God might indeed lead you from hunger to thirst. For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we'd received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. At this point, Israel is walking in obedience by traveling according to the commandment of the Lord. But a temptation arises. There was no water there for the people to drink. The people are tested whether they will wait for the Lord or not, and their obedience is shattered. Christian, learn from your fathers who wandered in the wilderness. When you strive to walk in the path of obedience, see to it that there is no stumbling block that hinders your perseverance. Verse 2. Therefore the people quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. And Moses said to them, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? 
See, Israel had become just like Pharaoh. After not just witnessing, but experiencing the ten plagues, crossing the Red Sea, seeing bitter water made sweet, seeing manna and quail come down from heaven day after day, they hardened their hearts. Psalm 95 says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as at Meribah, as on the day at Massah in the wilderness when your fathers put me to the test and put me to the proof, though they had seen my work. And look again at verse 2. The people are thirsty, and who do they go to? After seeing miracle after miracle, they do not ask God for a single thing, but began to fight with the mere man. They don't send up a single word in prayer, but act as if Moses could give them water. This reaction only makes sense if they are fully convinced in their minds that God is not with them. Israel, in going to Moses, was questioning God's presence. Israel was questioning his providence. And they were demanding something of a creature that only the creator could do. But the people there thirsted for water. And the people grumbled against Moses and said, Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? They're saying, God has no plan here. He is not among us. In fact, you, Moses, you're trying to kill us and our children with thirst. So Moses cried to the Lord, what shall I do with these people? They're almost ready to stone me. And as God hears the pleas from his saint, he uses them to unfold salvation for his people. And the Lord said to Moses, Pass on before these people, taking with you some of the elders of Israel and taking in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile and go. God is saying, Moses, pass on before this host who want to murder you and take with you heads of families and competent witnesses and take with you the staff that struck the Nile, that turned water to blood. Take the staff that symbolized my power working through you because I'm going to magnify both of us before my rebellious people. See God's kindness that even in the instruction, God is reminding Moses of his past faithfulness to fuel Moses' faith in future grace the staff with which which you struck the Nile, the staff that turned the Nile into blood, my power is going with you, Moses. Behold, verse 6, listen carefully to this, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb. 
And you shall strike the rock, and water shall come out of it, and the people will drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. Moses is commanded to act in faith, to do something that doesn't make any sense. In order to produce water, God commands him to take an object that does not produce water and hit an object that does not produce water. But God fuels his faith with the promise. I will stand before you on the rock. Your obedience of faith will bear fruit. And the same is true of you today, Christian. Your obedience in faith will bear fruit. To this end, we always pray for you that our God will make you worthy of his calling and may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power so that at the name of the Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit of God labors to assist you in every act of faithful obedience. Brother and sister, the Lord is standing before you on the rock. When you are fearful to obey, when you don't know what obedience looks like, when you are doubtful of obedience as good fruit, that you feel like you may act and nothing will come of it, or you may be mocked and ridiculed because of your obedience, know that the Lord of hosts will put forth the power of his hand so that your obedient work of faith will not be in vain. Did you hear that, Christian? Your obedience is never in vain. Moses obeyed, and the people drank their fill, and the Lord satisfied them. And in this, we see how God's immeasurable kindness measures more than all the wickedness of man. And Moses called the name of the place Massah, which means testing, and Meribah, which means quarreling, because of the quarreling of the people of Israel and because they tested the Lord by saying, is the Lord among us or not? See, the root of Israel's evil was their unbelief. And the root of our evil is our unbelief. You see, in Exodus 6, God had already said to his people, I am Yahweh the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God, and you shall know that I am Yahweh the Lord your God." who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to your father Abraham, and to Isaac, and to Jacob. 
I will give it to you for possession. I am Yahweh the Lord. God had taken charge of his people and had promised them that he would neither leave them nor forsake them, but would bring them faithfully into the land. But Israel tested the Lord and said, is he even here? Yet God delivered his people. Why? To prove that he is a faithful, covenant-keeping God? Yes. But more than that, God delivered his people to show us Christ. Jesus obeyed where Israel failed. When tempted in the wilderness for 40 days, Jesus did not grumble and succumb to the craving of food, worship of a false god, or putting the Lord to the test. Jesus did not think that God would fail to take care of him, and he did not demand signs and wonders to prove God honest. Rather, when Jesus was tempted to prove God's protection of him by casting himself off the pinnacle of the temple... Jesus, the faithful son of God, said, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Paul says more in 1 Corinthians 10. Starting in verse 1, Paul says, For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea. And all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. Christ was their spiritual nourishment all along. This is why in John 7, Jesus cries out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. In Exodus 17, 1 through 7, was just a shadow of the things to come. John 19, 34 says, But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear. And at once there came out blood and water. In Exodus 17, the rock was struck and water came out so that people could drink and not perish in the way. But at Calvary, your rock was struck for the final and last time. As blood and water came out, Jesus made it so that all who thirst can be satisfied at the fount of living water and never see death. Verse 8. Then Amalek came and fought with Israel at Rephidim. Now we see God sets behind his people their first enemy since he delivered them out of the bondage of Egypt. The nation of the Amalekites was named for their father Amalek, who was the grandson of Esau, the brother of Jacob. 
and unprovoked, unprovoked, they attacked the weakest members of the host of Israel. How do we know? Later on in Deuteronomy 25, God says, Remember what Amalek did to you on the way as you came out of Egypt. How he attacked you on the way when you were faint and weary and cut off your tail, those who were lagging behind you, and he did not fear God. Therefore, when the Lord your God has given you rest from all your enemies around you in the land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance to possess, you shall blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. You shall not forget. So Moses said to Joshua, Choose for us men and go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. Do you recognize what God is doing? Do you see the the shadow of his coming? God is setting in motion a miraculous deliverance for his people. Moses is taking the staff of God that just smote the rock and caused water to come out of a rock. The same same staff that God used to turn all the water in Egypt to blood. Even the water in vessels of wood and stone. The same staff that God used to manifest frogs and hail and darkness. The same staff that God used to split the Red Sea so that Israel could pass on dry ground and close the Red Sea again to wipe out all the host of Pharaoh. Tomorrow, Moses will stand on top of the hill in plain view of all of Israel with the staff of God and will obey the voice of the Lord for the salvation of his people. But you might ask, if God is going to save his people, why didn't he just prevent the Amalekites from attacking in the first place? Why cause the Amalekites to attack just to stop them? In Exodus 14, 30 and 31, after God closed the Red Sea and wiped out the host of Pharaoh, it says, Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians, so the people feared the Lord. And they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. God was merciful with his people's grumblings against them by giving them water. But they were brazen enough to test him, so he's disciplining them. So they might believe in him, whom they tested. And in his servant Moses, who they were just about to stone a moment ago. Even in bringing judgment on his children, God works all things together for their good. And as God used Moses and his staff to destroy the Egyptians, he will do so again to rout the Amalekites. So Joshua did as Moses had told him and fought with Amalek, while Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. Moses did not trust his own strength, but took two others with him. 
Aaron, his brother, and prophet of the Lord, and her, the great-great-grandson of Judah. And whenever Moses held up his hand, Israel prevailed. And whenever he lowered his hand, Amalek prevailed. Whenever Moses' hands and the staff of God was raised high like a banner, the people of God grew mighty and overcame Amalek. But Moses' hands grew weary, so he took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. While Aaron and Hur held up his hands, one on one side and the other on the other side, so his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. And look at verse 12. Did you notice who God said grew weary? Of course it was Joshua, whose hands were weary from swinging the sword all day long. No. It was Moses. His spiritual burden was heavier than the sword. And why would God cause the tide of battle to turn on the labors of Moses? To remind Israel that the hands of Moses, whom they had just accused of murderous intent, did more for their safety than their own swords. Verse 13. And Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the sword. And the Lord said to Moses, Write this as a memorial in a book and recite it in the ears of Joshua, that I will utterly blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. Think, why would God command this to be written down and recited in Joshua's ears? so that Joshua would not buckle under the trials he would face when he became Israel's leader. Moses is instructed to write down a record of God's faithfulness and future promises and have Joshua be constantly reminded of it. And Christian, this is how you live in faith for future grace. When difficulty comes... You can stand firm trusting all God is for you in Christ because he has proven himself faithful in the past and has given you many precious promises to cling to. And Moses built an altar and called the name of it, The Lord is My Banner. Saying, A hand upon the throne of the Lord. The Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. The hand is upon the throne of God because Yahweh does not sit idly by in heaven. Our God is active and he exercises all authority and dominion in the government of the earth. He rules in power and sustains all things with the strength of his arm. And as long as God is on the throne, he will never cease to pursue the Amalekites with a furious vengeance. You might be thinking, Amalekites. Why does this matter to me right now? What does this vow against the Amalekites have to do with my cancer? 
What does this vow against the Amalekites have to do with your wayward child? Or your loneliness? Or your disappointments? Or your aging body? Because your God's hand is still on the throne. Praise be to God. You do not have a weak intercessor who needs help saving his people. Your brother Jesus, the captain of your salvation, held up his arms on his own until it was finished. And now he is seated at the right hand of the Father, ever interceding for you. God's hand is still on the throne for you. Just as God unceasingly pursued the destruction of the Amalekites until the execution of Haman in Esther's time, God will not stop pursuing the remaining sin in you until he brings you to glory, fully persevered to the end. Let's go to God together and pray that this word might bear fruit among us. Father, you are still on the rock. Your hand is still on the throne. As it did for Joshua, please let this recitation of your faithfulness help us to trust you with our whole hearts. For the sake of your goodness, please instruct us. We ask that you hear us because of Christ, our brother. Amen. Brother Jane, would you come and lead us, please? Did you hear what Matt said? The Lord Jesus said, All who are thirsty, come to me and drink. Within your heart will flow rivers of living water. And as we saw Paul's, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Paul's interpretation, his, his explication of this text, said that rock which was struck, that from which that water flows, is the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we come to the Lord's table to eat and to drink to be reminded of that sacrifice, that provision of grace that's been given for us. So this time we'll uh, pass out the elements.
the giving of manna from heaven and the flowing of water from the rock were the provision, the life-preserving provision the Lord gave. Israel could not have survived traveling through the wilderness without it. And yet they point to something much deeper, fuller, and richer. Jesus tells us in John 6, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Well, they said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Again, they want that daily provision, thinking that something miraculous would happen once again. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of heaven. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said that you have seen me, yet you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me I will never cast out, for I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. This is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. I'm going to ask um, Ray Sheen, please, if you would give thanks for the bread, uh, the true bread, the Lord Jesus, and this bread, which is a symbol of his body broken for us. Lord, we thank you for the sacrifice that you made for us. We thank you, Lord, that you came and gave your life for us. And we now, as we eat of this bread, as we think of the sacrifice you gave, we ask that you bless us. We ask that you uh, let, let uh, each of us recognize that sacrifice, understand that, and, and accept that. Lord, we thank you so much for what you've done in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Paul tells us that the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and said, uh, he, he, he gave thanks for it and broke it and said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Not only was his body pierced, but his blood was shed for our sins. The Bible tells us that without the shedding of blood, there is no cleansing of sin. And I love this verse in 1 John 1. Verse 7, it tells us, if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his, his son, cleanses us of all unrighteousness. Brothers and sisters, hear this. This is so important. Sin produces guilt, but it also produces shame. Shame makes us want to hide. It makes us want to stay in the dark. And the Lord says, come out of the dark, come out of hiding, walk in the light as he is in the light. And enjoy fellowship with one another. And, and, and we're afraid to do that because... We have shame. We have sin that, that, that we're ashamed of. And the Lord said it's in that context, in the fellowship with one another, in the light, that we experience in a mighty and powerful way that the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us of all unrighteousness. I want Dave Kruber to give thanks for this cup, which is for us a symbol of this shed blood. Father, we're thankful for your son, Jesus, who took on flesh for us, who is pierced, shed his blood, so that we may receive full righteousness that is from him. We thank you for the blood that was shed. And we thank you, Father, that you have given us of your Son 
so that we may come boldly before your throne. So we thank you for this cup that reminds us of the very blood that was shed for us, that we may have remission of sins. Oh, what grace. We thank you in Jesus' name. I believe I heard Rich playing a minute ago. I don't know if you're going to play this to, to finish. Your blood has washed away my sin. Are we saying that? We can. We can. We can. I hope we can. Aaron's up there going, really? Your blood has washed away my sin. Jesus, thank you. The Father's wrath completely satisfied. Jesus, thank you. Once your enemy now seated at your table, Jesus, thank you. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup and said, This cup is the new covenant shed or, or sealed in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So the observance of the Lord's table is a look back at his death. It's a present embracing once again of his grace that is ever provided for us every single day. And it looks forward to the coming return of our Lord Jesus. And with that, uh, just as they did after that first last supper together, they sang a hymn. We'll sing a hymn uh, to close our service.